0: Welcome Crossbridge and to our friends and family from other places who might be listening uh, to us online. Uh, We hope that you've enjoyed your holidays or maybe still enjoying your holidays. Uh, My name is Phil Nicholas and I'm filling in for our pastors who are taking a a little R&R as well uh, during this time. And I have one big thing to say. Welcome to 2021. That That has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? As we Leave uh, 2020 uh, in our rearview mirror, that has a nice ring to it, too. We've all had some uh, difficult times uh, during 2020, uh, but we've managed to have some positive times, too, during this last year. Some of us that I've talked to, and I know with myself, I've experienced more closer times with my family. Um, I've gotten to know them better, and I've had some rituals that have been established. My son and I, we like to go out for a cafe con leche, almost every uh, afternoon, and, uh, and these, are, these are enjoyable things. I've also, during 2020, uh, early on, decided that I, I really needed to focus on my relationships, my family in particular, and my relationship with the Lord. I, I wanted it to be a more vibrant relationship, a closer relationship, and as I've talked to some of you um, I think that's been some of your desires and your experiences, too, during last year. So I want to describe something that happened to me uh, early on in 2020 after COVID had started that began to lead me to that deeper relationship. And it was prompted by a verse in the Bible from the book of James. And I'm going to read that to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. The doubting person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I mean, I read that verse, and I kind of look at this verse now as the Christian seeker to a happy life. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, well, that would be me. Um, You should ask God, who gives generously. Can you imagine God giving anything generously to all without finding fault? I don't have to have my act together. I can go to him, whatever state I'm in, and ask him for wisdom, and he'll give it to me generously. And the only condition to this request is that I not doubt. That was it. To me, this was a double down. This was a guarantee. So what did I pray for wisdom in? I asked that God would show me my heart compared to his heart. But God gave generously. He didn't answer the prayer in a way that I thought he would or that I had asked for. Instead of showing how my heart compared to his heart, he showed me his heart towards me. He answered it in the area of identity. And I'm going to share that with you today. What is identity? Well, one dictionary version describes identity as something that indicates who or what something or something is. We have lots of things that we might point to if we were ever asked the question, what is your identity? We might talk about our family. We might talk about our career. We might talk about where we're from. We might talk about our political bent, maybe our religious affiliation. As we contemplate what our identity is, consider the following quote from Tony Robbins, a a pretty well-known life coach. Identity is this incredible, invisible force that controls your whole life. It's invisible like gravity is invisible, but it controls your whole life. For example, um, I'm, an, I'm a lawyer here in South Florida for over 35 years. I am a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather. I come from Indiana. Um, I, went to, uh, I went to the U. And these are all things that I might use to describe my identity. But all of these things are fleeting. All of these things, by definition, are are temporary. The only thing that is eternal is God. And so doesn't it make sense that what my identity is should be in relation to what God tells me it is? Or Put another way, what my identity is from God's perspective. This is so important for us to get straight. Another quote from the world of psychology, unless we base our identity on the truth of who we are, it is impossible to attain true happiness. So let's focus on the truth of who we are as Christians, how God sees us, our true, ultimate identity. And if you're not a Christian, but you're listening, first of all, you are welcome. Here at Crossbridge, we have a saying here that you can belong before you believe. And I hope that what we talk about today sparks your emotional and intellectual Curiosity, and that if you have questions, you get them asked because you'll get an answer. We're going to cover three things today. We're going to cover first Christ as our representative. This is something called federal headship. It's a fancy term. We'll get to that. We're going to talk about our union with Christ and what it means for us in the area of identity. And then finally, a confession. So first, federal headship, that's a, that's a complex word, a complex phrase, but it simp- simply put, it describes how God has set up the human race through a representative structure. And to give you an analogy, I want you to think of our representatives that we, that we vote for, that we elect to office. They might go to Washington, or if you're in Florida, you might go to Tallahassee. And, and we expect them to cast votes, to vote on certain legislation, but there are our representative, you see. So when that representative is voting in Washington, for example, when that representative is voting on legislation, who's really voting? You are. You're really voting because that person is your representative. And God has set up this representative structure to the human race. Adam is seen as our first representative. Adam, meaning the first man, uh, was our representative. So that when he sinned, when he violated God's law, it's as if we sinned and violated God's law. You may have heard of the phrase original sin. That's describing this phenomenon of the fact that Adam was our representative. And we might think that's really unfair. (laughs) We would have done a better job. But Adam was a perfect man. Adam was not tainted by sin and shortcomings, like you and I are. He walked face to face with God. He was the perfect representative. But God has given us a second representative, and that representative is Jesus. In fact, Jesus is called in the Scriptures the second Adam because, you see, Jesus is our representative for obedience. Jesus is our representative for fulfillment of the law. Where Adam failed... In following the law of God, Christ succeeded. And he is our representative for his righteousness, for his obedience. This verse from the book of Romans makes it clear. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so also through the the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Righteous. And that's speaking of the obedience of Christ, the obedience of his perfect life, his obedience of going to the cross, being our representative as he paid for our sin at the cross. And the choice before all people on earth, the choice that you have to make is who is your representative? Is it Adam, the lawbreaker? Will you stand before God at the end of time with Adam? Adam? as your representative? Or is Jesus, the law fulfiller, your representative? That's the choice that you have to make. Our second point that we're going to talk about is our union with Christ. Let's talk about Jesus and his representation a little bit deeper. He is far more than just our representative. He represents us at a very emotional, intimate level. We're going to look at a series of quotes here. And I want you to pay careful attention because these quotes are central to our identity as Christians, as believers. And I want you to notice the intimacy and the union we have. And here we're going to start talking about the old man and the new man. And uh, forgive me, ladies, we use the word man in, in terms of representing mankind. The old man and the new man includes us both. Looking at our first verse, the Bible teaches us an amazing thing. It teaches us that when Christ died at the cross, we died with him. From the book of Romans, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Crucified with Christ at the cross, our old self. Who is this old self? This old self is that person that you don't like. This, this old self is that person that you know falls short. This old self is that person that has violated God's will over and over and over. This is that old self that you're burdened with. That old self was put to death at the cross with Christ. That old man is, from God's perspective, dead. Our next verse emphasizes this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hidden with Christ. When do we hide? We hide when we're scared. We hide when we're ashamed. We hide when we don't want to be caught. Adam and Eve, they hid from God. God the judge, the God that told them that if they sinned on that day, they would surely die. When they did sin, they went and they hid. They were afraid of God because they know that God cannot overlook sin. He is perfectly just. But at the cross, Christ was not hidden. Christ was fully exposed. All of your sin, all of it, was on full display in Christ. The penalty of it was on full display as Christ was crucified. The Son of God paying the penalty for our sin, the penalty of death, openly, vividly, fully, no hiding, and we are hidden in Him. We have refuge in Him. And outside of Christ, there is no place, no place for us to hide from the just judge of the universe. But being found in Christ, there is peace with God. That old self, the old man, died with Christ at the cross. And from God's perspective, Will never ever live again, for we are hidden in Christ. And indeed, we learn this progression of our union with Christ that when Christ was buried, we were buried with Him from God's perspective. We were therefore buried with Him, it says in Romans. And there, the symbolism that's used is baptism when we go down into the water, symbolic of our being buried with Christ. When we come up out of the water, it's symbolic of being resurrected with Christ. Indeed, when he rose from the dead, when Christ rose from the dead, we are told in the scriptures that from God's perspective, we rose with him in him. And God raised us up with Christ. Death could not contain Christ. He paid the penalty for sin in full. It was over. It was finished. And just as death could not contain Christ... Just as death could not hold Christ down, so too it cannot contain us. For we are united with Christ, not just symbolically as our representative, but in actuality. Our next verse demonstrates this vividly. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Let me, let's look at that again. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. From God's perspective we are as Christians right now seated in the heavenly realms. This is stated in the present, the present tense. From God's perspective we are right now seated in the heavenly realms with God. It is a Done deal. You know, we are bound by time. This is, it's hard for us to imagine that we're right now seated in the heavenly realms because we're, right, we're here. But you see, we live on linear time. We look at yesterday, today, and the future. But God is not on linear time. In fact, God created time, and so God is not bound by time. He sees everything from an eternal perspective. So as from his eternal perspective, it's a done deal. We are already sitting in the heavenly realms in Christ. And where is that old man? Where is he? He is dead. He died with Christ at the cross. Those of you placing your hope in Christ, you will never be that old man ever again from God's perspective. You will never be him that one you hate, the one that you are burdened with, you will never be in God's eyes, never again. That is no longer your identity. Indeed, as believers, you have experienced a permanent transformation. From the book of Colossians, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Think of the vast gulf between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the son that He loves. God has gone to rescue us from that kingdom of darkness where we were flailing about as the old man. And if, and if you ever wonder if God can love you, He rescued you from the kingdom of darkness when you were the old man. and He brought you to the kingdom of his beloved son. What does that say about how God thinks about you? He doesn't see you as that old, dead man. He doesn't see you as the one flailing about in the kingdom of darkness because he rescued you. He brought the new man Into the kingdom of his son. How else is this permanent transformation described? It says in Philippians, Paul writes, Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship was a big deal in Paul's day. When he wrote that word, our citizenship is in heaven, it really meant something to Paul. Paul was put on trial once in Israel. This is in the book of Acts. And just before his accusers, those having authority over him, were going to flog him, he said, do you know I'm a Roman citizen? And the people freaked out. They had no clue he was a Roman citizen. The fact that they had a Roman citizen in chains and they were getting ready to flog him, they were scared to death. And they stopped. They didn't flog him. And eventually... Paul was sent to Rome where Paul did stand trial. You see, citizenship has rights. And that's what Paul was saying. I have rights as a citizen of Rome. And so, too, we are citizens of heaven. We have rights, so to speak. We have protection. That old man was a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. That old man who is dead. But you're far more than citizens, even. The Bible continues way beyond citizenship. In the book of John, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who accept Christ, who receive Christ, to those who believe in his name, you become not just citizens. You become children of God. As Paul says in Galatians, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And as a child, you'll have all the rights that a child has. What happens when our parents pass away? What happens? What is a child at that point? Well, a child is an heir. And that's exactly what the Bible says. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of what? It is described for us. And in this description, we see even more, a permanent transformation, your identity in Christ. In the first letter of Peter, it says, an inheritance that we are an heir of, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It can never fade. If you could lose that inheritance, for those of you that might be afraid that this is too good to be true and that I can lose that, then that would mean that inheritance could fade. That inheritance inheritance will never fade, never. It is kept in heaven for you. Does God keep this unspoilable, non-perishing, non-fading inheritance for the old man? Or Or does he keep it for the new man? Does he keep it for the old man who was put to death at the cross with Christ? No. He keeps it for the new man, for you. That is your identity. In fact, God expressly guarantees this for you from the book of Corinthians. Now it is God who set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Notice this language, God's ownership of you. The Bible says that he has bought us with a price, the price of his son's death at the cross. That you belong to him. And and he put his spirit in our hearts. Does he he put his spirit in the heart of of the old man, the one that died with Christ at the cross? No. He puts his spirit in the new man. And you notice that this deposit is a guarantee. It is permanent. It is fixed forever. And finally, emphasizing this permanent transformation into your identity as the new man in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, it says, "If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, and let, let's make this perfectly clear. if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Where is the old man? He is gone. From God's perspective, he doesn't exist. He was crucified at the cross with Christ. You are forever, forever to be, from God's perspective, and are the new man. Why is this so hard for us to really believe sometimes? I think it's because, from my perspective, my personal experience, I act like that old man all the time. I know that you guys do too. We go to that closet. There's that old man. We pick him up. We carry him around. We sit with him at our dinner tables with our family. When we're hanging out with our friends, we introduce him to people at parties. We we act like that old man all the time. Have you ever said, why do I keep doing the same stupid things all over again? You ever, you ever so violated your conscience in God's law where you've said, on reflection, I, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that woman. But have you ever answered yourself in that turmoil? I am not that man. I am not that woman, for that man, that woman, is the old man who died with Christ at the cross. Have you ever answered yourself in your mind when you're in that turmoil of broken conscience? I have been crucified with Christ at the cross. Buried and raised with him, transferred to the kingdom of God, seated in the heavenly realms. I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. With all its rights, I'm a child of God, beloved. I'm an heir of a certain unspoilable inheritance proven by the deposit of God's spirit in me. Hard to remember. Hard to even believe. We keep going over to that closet and we keep pulling out that old dead guy. We're not alone. We're not alone. The Apostle Paul did the same thing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, did the same thing. He knew about that old man. He went to his closet and pulled out that old dead guy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. I do not understand what I do. Sound familiar? Don't you love that? Even the Apostle Paul, just like us. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. A common experience of us all, no? How beautiful the common experiences. Of those who are the new man. Christians, our common experiences when we see the wonder and awe of God, the wonder and awe that we have when we see God working in our lives. We sense the Spirit of God prompting us, convicting us of our sin, turning us time and time again to confession, repentance, and peace. And here Paul highlights our common struggles against evil, the same emotional roller coaster that we all experience. That experience leads us time and time again to say, What is wrong with me? What a wretch I am. Isn't it amazing that in our identity as the new man, even in the filth of our lives, we see that identity? Because in the midst of that, turmoil, that filth, we cry out with Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Christians, we know the answer. We always end up turning to the cross, to the one who gave his life for us. We always find ourselves at the foot of the cross. Being at the foot of the cross with gratitude for what Christ has done for us is the hallmark of our identity as the new man. The old man is never at the foot of the cross, but the new man is there all the time when we need him. As we we express our gratitude, as we fight that turmoil in our lives, our failings, our shortcomings, that's the hallmark of the new man. That should give us encouragement. That's our identity. Praise be to God if I've described you. Rejoice in who you are in Christ, our great God, our great Savior. But even though we are the new man and in light of our struggle with sin, we are called to actively put off the old man and put on the new man. Remember, to God an eternal being, he's not bound by time. He sees us already as the new man. But we live in linear time, past, present, future. We struggle with the temptations that are in this world. We live in, the Bible describes these fallen bodies. We will continue to struggle as if the old man were still alive. And in that sense, he is in in our day-to-day struggle. But from God's perspective, that old man was put to death at the cross. You will never be that person. And we are called to put on the new man. We're called to put on all that comes with that. The, the, uh, the new man. Who Imagine the new man in heaven with, with God. How do you think we will be? The Bible says that we will not sin. There will be no corruption. This is what we are to put on. We're to remind ourselves of who we are. You know why? Because sometimes we forget. The apostle uh, Peter, in his letter, he writes about how important it is for believers to engage in a lifestyle of faithfulness, goodness, self control, and love, to put on the new man. And he tells us why this is so important from his second letter For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind and, and, therefore condemned. Therefore, cast out? Therefore, alienated from God? Cut off? No. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, it's possible for us to forget that we are the new man. For those of you that have been struggling, maybe you're off on a tangent some sinful path, you, you know you're not supposed to be on it. Right? You're struggling, aren't you? Trying to, trying to come to reconcile in your mind that you are the new man because you see you're not putting on the new man. You've gone over to the closet and taken out the old dead guy. You're walking around with him. And it's hard to see yourself as the new man if that's what you're doing. It's possible to be confused. Some of you are saying, I cannot possibly be the new man. I am a total wreck. Let me give you an analogy that I think might help. I want you to imagine a a, a father who owns a home, and that father raises a 10-year-old child. That father also rents out a room to a tenant. So it's the father, the child, the 10-year-old child, and the tenant. And the father has his rules of the house. He puts them, he's written them up, and he's put them on the fridge for the child and the tenant to see. And these rules reflect his character. They're good rules. You know, no fighting, clean up after yourself, uh, lights out at a certain time, no TV past a certain time, and so on. These rules reflect his character. Now, what do you think is going to happen if the tenant violates those rules, keeps violating those rules? What's the father going to do? Well, he's going to kick the tenant out. He's going to evict him. Well, what about the 10-year-old son? Let's say the son violates those rules. What's the father going to do? Going to kick him out, evict him? No, no, that wouldn't even cross the father's mind. He'll discipline his son not to get some kind of revenge or punishment out of anger. He'll discipline his son to follow the rules because the rules are good. They reflect the father's character, and that's how he wants his house run. You see, the tenant will always be judged by the rules. Always. But the child, those rules might as well not even exist. The child's relationship with the father is not based upon rules. It's based upon love. So if you're looking at the rules on that fridge and you're going, pfft, I am a mess, I am a wreck, there is no way I am a child of God, then you have it wrong on how you perceive the father-son relationship with God. Those rules might as well not even exist. And parents, you know this. You know that if your children are violating those rules, when it comes to loving your child, you think your child is perfect. Those rules might as well not even exist. And so it is with God. To the Father, he sees us as perfect. This verse in Hebrews, is one of my favorite verses from the scriptures. It says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's the Father's view of the Son, perfect. By the sacrifice of Christ, God has made us perfect. He's made us perfect forever. We're being made holy. We, we got these rules on the fridge, you know. We're learning how to comply with those. But from God's perspective, we're perfect forever. The new man is new indeed. Okay. That gets me to our third point. It's a confession. Error. Error is subtle sometimes. Sometimes it's beneath our surface thoughts. Sometimes it exists because truth doesn't encompass the full man. Maybe the truth is in his head, but it's not in his heart. I was taught early on in my Christian walk almost everything I'm telling you, almost everything we've talked about today, that my sins were forgiven through Christ at the cross, that I was made perfect in God's sight. I've been cleansed perfect before God, and that I'm a child of God, and that he loves me as a child. I, I believed this, and I treasured it. I was a Christian, and yet, and, and here is the ultimate conclusion that has revolutionized, I think, my walk with the Lord in these past several months. And I think it applies to many of us. I think a lot of us have maybe made this error. You see, I was thinking for much of my Christian walk, something in my heart was telling me that I was the old man becoming the new man that I was the old man becoming a new man, the new man. Do you see how debilitating that is? That I would think of myself, failure after failure after failure, I'm still the old man, but I'm on my way to becoming the new man, maybe trying to become the new man. Do you see how liberating it is to know that we are the new man? That old man is dead. He died with Christ at the cross. I'm not the old man becoming the new man. I am the new man. This verse is worth another look. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Who is being made holy? Who's not yet holy but in the process of being made holy from this verse? is those that have been made perfect. That's the new man. It is the new man that is in the process of being made holy. You know, I think of the prodigal son, and you know that story, uh, the, the, the son asked for his inheritance from his dad. He wanted it now, and he took that, the father gave it to him, and he took that money, and he squandered it on a reckless living, and he got to that point where he said, what am I doing? Now, look at me now, I'm penniless, and uh, I could go back to my father's house, and well, maybe he'll hire me as a servant So he goes back to his dad, and we know the story. The dad sees him. The dad comes running out. He's so excited. He puts his arms around his son. And the son's going, oh, dad, you know, self-deprecating. You know, dad, you know, make me a hired hand, you know. And the the dad doesn't even hear what he's saying, what his son is saying. He's like, come on, come on, kill the fatted calf. Uh, Set up the party. Get it ready. My son is home. (laughs) You see, to that father, he always oh, saw his son as perfect. You know, we only see the father's love in that story when the father sees his son, comes running out, and embraces his son. But that, in that moment, the father is just manifesting the love that he's always had for his child. He didn't like all of a sudden start loving his child in that moment. He always loved his son, always. We just see it for the first time when the son comes home. The old man never existed. that story, as far as the father goes looking at his son, that old man never existed in his son. He always saw his son as the new man, and so too it is with God's sons and daughters. Always seen as the new man, never the dead old man. I want you to imagine the prodigal son being reminded of this deep Unconditional love. Imagine him sitting at that table at that party looking at his dad. His dad's so happy in awe of the love <laughs> that his father had for him. Even though he wasn't following those rules on that fridge very well. Imagine the son relaxing and resting in the arms of his father, basking in his affirmation and love. Imagine how thrilled the son was to be a son, to realize that he is a son forever. And now he could go about his father's business. Yes, we can rest. We can stop carrying this baggage around, the old dead guy, the old man. We can stop and rest in our father's arms forever. Our father who never stopped loving us because he sees us as the new man. That is our identity forever forgiven, forever changed, forever beloved sons and daughters, never again to be the old man, the old man that died with Christ at the cross, free to be in this world who we really are. True rest indeed. To the non-Christian who's listening, um, like I said, we're so glad you're listening. But the question to you is, who is your representative? Adam, the lawbreaker, or Jesus, the law fulfiller? If you have not made that choice, I hope you have considered the possible joy that has been laid out before you that awaits you. To my brothers and sisters, identity. My awesome brothers and sisters, washed clean in the blood of Christ at the cross, hidden with Christ buried and risen with Christ, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, seated in the heavenly realms right now with Christ, citizens of heaven, children of God, co-heirs of all things, within whom the Holy Spirit resides, a deposit guaranteeing for us what is promised to come. As we close in prayer, I'll do this, reading a, a quote from the letter of Ephesians. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Father, thank you that we are now seated in the heavenly realms from your perspective because we are the new man. You have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You've taken our old self, and in your eyes, Lord, you have crucified it at the cross with Christ. It is dead. It no longer exists. You don't even see it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this amazing gift that we are the new man, forever beloved by you. Amen.